Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. I think it's so neat that you're able to join us through this medium, and it means so much to me personally to hear that this has been used to encourage so many of you. It has always been the posture of Genesis to tangibly extend the love of Jesus in various ways, both locally and across the world. We support programs that assist families in need, contribute to ongoing works and building projects in Mexico. We've built a latrine and cafeteria for St. Andre's School in Haiti, as well as are advancing a food program there that we hope will help feed the children for years to come. The money collected for all these endeavors could have paid for a facility of our own many times over, but instead, we've intentionally chosen to be a mobile community since we began. We now have before us an opportunity to invest in a building of our own. We're not doing this, however, without considering the works we're committed to or even the works we feel compelled to keep doing in the future. But we're asking, if you've benefited from this podcast or from anything that Genesis has done, would you consider partnering with us by donating to this work directly at www.thegenesisstory.com and click on the Building Fund tab. Joshua told the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Together, let's prepare for an amazing tomorrow. Thanks, and God bless. I don't know that I can be considered a special guest. <laughs> but Sam is not here, so you guys are stuck with me. I read, uh, I read a lot this week because I was preparing for today. <laughs> but I read this uh, collection of letters that kids send to their pastor. So I thought maybe you'd appreciate some of the things that Sam puts up with on occasion. First one says, Dear Pastor, I would like to go to heaven someday because I know my brother will not be there. <laughs> Stephen, age eight. <laughs> Dear Pastor, I know God loves everybody, but he must not have met my sister. <laughs> Arnold, also age eight. Dear Pastor, please say in your sermon that Peter Peterson has been a good boy all week. I am Peter Peterson. <laughs> Sincerely, Pete. <laughs> Dear Pastor, I think a lot more people will come to your church if you moved it to Disneyland. Because <laughs> the kid's a thinker. That's Laureen in Tacoma. She's age nine. Dear Pastor... Please say a prayer for our little league team. We either need God's help or a new pitcher. <laughs> Alexander, age 10. Dear Pastor, are there devils on earth? Because I think there's one in my class. Carla, age 8. And finally, dear Pastor, I hope to go to heaven someday, but later rather than sooner. <laughs> Eileen, age 8. Kids say funny things, but so do adults. <laughs> I, I don't know if you guys, um, I don't want to get too far down this rabbit hole, but has anyone watched the news this week? He's trying to avoid it, or you just can't avoid it. It's one or the other. <laughs> and it's everywhere. And um, I looked at Google's trending stories, and of course it's, it goes in, like, in the order of like Trump, and then Comey, and then Russia, and now Saudi Arabia. There's all this stuff happening in the world today, and it's in a crazy time in American history, but it's a crazy time in world history as well. And I've always, since the time I, w I was a kid, and I stayed up late, and I watched the movie, the old 50s version of uh, The Day the Earth Stood Still. You know what I'm talking about? Yes. And uh, I've always thought what, a, what a, a crazy encounter it would be if an alien landed on Earth and said, take me to your leader. 
<laughs> I'm not so sure how I would feel about that if it happened today. It's crazy times, and, you know, our leader's a little tied up right now. He's got a lot of stuff going on. He's all over the news. Every time he opens his mouth, it's a headline. But this week, there's also something else um, in the news that maybe slipped by a lot of us because it wasn't one of the trending stories. But as I came in this morning, I talked to Ben and I talked to Dave. Those of us who are maybe musicians or uh, who are fans of music also know that this week was uh, a sad week because on Wednesday night, the singer of the band Soundgarden, a Grammy award-winning band, uh, the singer committed suicide in a hotel room, in a bathroom in a hotel room in Detroit. And um, uh, it's not just musicians, but people who maybe are into music or at some point all through the 90s, this, this guy was a huge influence on so many people and culture in general. And, uh, and so sad story it was as you know, someone who listens to his music and appreciates his talent to hear what had, gone, what, what had happened. And now I know things have come out and his wife is saying, this is not what it looked like. I don't think it was intentional and... There's a lot of things happening, but as this was unfolding, my son heard the story on the, on the radio, my eight-year-old. And he asked me, Dad, why do people kill themselves? And what a thing for an eight-year-old to have to think about. What a thing for you know, anybody to have to think about. But I found myself trying to simplify the answer and, and just figure out, you know, how, do I, how do I answer that? And I said, you know, buddy, I think that he just, he lost sight of hope. And so I would like to talk about hope this morning. I would like to talk about that in a very real way and not just some kind of pie-in-the-sky thing. So um, we'll, be, we'll be honest this morning. I don't know why uh, what took place in Detroit, he had just played a concert in front of all his fans, he had been planning a vacation for Memorial Day with his wife. He has kids. He was a family man. There's a lot of things. I'm not sure why. I'm not sure what happened. I'm not sure what went through his head, and I don't want to speculate. But I just know when it comes down to the question, why would that cross anyone's mind? I, I want to dig into that. Because so in... in this morning, as we get to talking about hope, I want to get there by talking about despair and disappointment. Because I don't know, you know, it, that's a hard thing. You know, my, my son, my older son, he's into video games, and um, if he loses a video game, he goes to immediate, like, 10.0 depression, right? Like, it's like the worst thing that's ever happened to him in his life. And I know adults that get that way when their team loses. <laughs> uh, but there's a different level of uh, disappointment and despair. And truth is, disappointment and despair are somewhat of an epidemic in our society. It's kind of gotten to a new level uh, in our culture. So most people aren't taught how to deal with disappointment other than just to get over it or stuff it. And so we do that. Uh, I also read, this was a couple months ago, and this is because I have a teenager. I was, I was reading about, um, you know, what do I do? When my teenager, I looked up you know, psychology today. <laughs> I'm a 
I'm a 10 cent dime store shrink when it comes to my kids. But he, he's kind of had a hard time being motivated with, with trying things or accomplishing things. And everything is just really hard for him. And um, I know it's not him, just him, because there's an article written about it for parents everywhere. And the thing that happens is, you know, he has no, it seems like, in my mind, he has no motivation. He just doesn't want to get up and try. And what I read was that this whole thing that happens, this starts in adolescence, but it doesn't stop. So, so this happens in adult life too. We have tried things and failed. Or we have put our trust in people and been let down. And that has happened at such an accelerating rate that at some point he just doesn't want to give it a go anymore. At, at some point he's been like, he's in his head, he's like, man, I've, I've tried this, 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 and this, and none of them have worked out well. I've, I've, tried, I've tried baseball. I've tried basketball. I wasn't good at those. And so I'm not going to try anything else. I've tried having this, you know, I've tried kind of fitting in with this group of friends, and that didn't work out very well, so now I'm just going to kind of be a loner. And this goes on into adulthood. This goes on into to careers and families and marriages. It goes on the whole way. So we learn to deal with disappointment by stuffing it and maybe losing motivation. And it's a pretty sad, sad place to live. It's been said that, uh, that fishermen are the ultimate optimists. Is anybody a fisherman? We have a couple fisherwomen. Uh, and they say that. <laughs> the story goes that one, one, uh, one friend says to his neighbor, hey, how's fishing going? And he says, it's, it's going better. It's better. Last week I, I went fishing for four hours and I didn't catch anything. And this week I went and I had the same result in three hours. <laughs> That's optimism. Let me ask you a question. Is there a difference between optimism and hope? Yes? All right. What is the difference? <laughs> Put somebody on the spot. Optimism is kind of lazy. Like, I hope the Raiders win. Yeah, optimism is... is like you've given me hope, I know I can do it. Okay. So there is a certainty to hope. Yeah. And, and maybe in optimism, it's kind of more like wishful thinking. Am I onto something? Yeah. Which, is, which one is that? <laughs> the scriptures say it like this. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, it's talking about faith, but it says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for the conviction of things not seen. So it talks about faith in this verse. It's talking about what faith is. Faith is being sure of what you hope for. It's being convinced of what you have not seen. Look at Romans 8, 24 and 25. It says, Now hope that is seen is not hope. Hope that is not seen, hope that is seen, so if you see it, if it's in front of your face, then you don't have to hope for it because it's there, right? That's a pretty simple concept. 
But in verse 25, he says, But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it in patience. I, I read uh, an article a long time ago about the singer, the singer from uh, Counting Crows. So he was talking about uh, the theme of a whole lot of his songs. And he said a lot of people ask if this is about God. And he said, and truthfully, they might be. He said, but I, wrote mo- I write mostly about hope. And he said, and that could be hope in a relationship or hope with God or it could be hope with a lot of different things. He said, but what I find about hope that's interesting is that it's always about waiting. And that's what, that's what Paul says in Romans. We wait for it. If we, if we hope for what we don't see yet, we wait for it with patience. We're waiting for something that we believe to be true. but we haven't yet seen it. So that's different than optimism. That's different than saying, I, I, you know, I, want, I want the Dodgers to win. That's, that's good. Positive thinking. If you're a Dodger fan, that is. Yeah? <laughs> Positive thinking. It's okay. It's good. But that's different than hope. It's different than biblical hope. Hope is not hope if it's based on a fantasy. So, for example, if I say, I hope there will be a cool million dollars on my dining room table when I get home after church, I'm going to be disappointed. <laughs> if I say that I hope my teenage son will not eat me out of house and home, I'm going to be disappointed. If I, if I say that, you know, I, I hope I'll get that promotion, but I don't work hard for the promotion, I'm going to be disappointed. There's some common sense things in here. If I say that I want to have amazing friendships and relationships, but I don't put any effort into those things, I'm going to be disappointed. And disappointment, as I said, it's, it's, it's an epidemic. It's kind of the hallmark of our age. I read through my, my Facebook feed last night, and I saw a myriad of disappointment in the statements that I read. Things like, I can't believe the new Alien movie sucks so bad. <laughs> I'm sorry if you haven't seen it. I haven't seen it either, but apparently my friend Jordan, who's a huge fan, is really disappointed in the movie. <laughs> Another friend said, I'm stuck in L.A. traffic. Traffic blows. I'm so burned out on my job. Is anybody hiring? Disappointment, disappointment, disappointment. Are you kidding me, Anaheim Ducks? Four penalties in six minutes? <laughs> Disappointment. Still brokenhearted about Chris Cornell, the singer I talked about. May he rest in peace. Another, this one, this one kind of caught my heart a little bit more. Another lonely Saturday night. My life is so boring. The truth is we can find ourselves disappointed in anything from our dinner to our government. And anything in between, from video games to you name it. We can be disappointed in anything, and we often are. And oftentimes, we don't mind talking about it. Two years ago, there was a study done by a couple of uh, economists at Princeton University. And they found out, this is really an interesting study from uh, economists. They determined that between 1999 in 2014, the mortality rate for, they said white males, 
between the ages of 45 and 52 had exponentially increased. And when they looked into why people were dying younger, they found an increase in um, liver disease due to alcoholism. They found a huge spike in suicides and a whole host of deaths related to drug overdose. And these are, this is an economic study. And so what they're determining is, because of the state of the economy and the, the hardships that people are facing with jobs and careers, that more men in that age bracket are killing themselves. And they called this, in the study, they called this death by despair. Disappointment is a dark word. And it's closely tied to things like depression, feeling let down, maybe feeling like a failure. And it leaves us feeling beaten and empty and deflated and done. So, are you all depressed now? Why am I painting such a bleak picture? Have I done enough? Have I said enough? We live in a world where people are living in utter despair all the time. And I can't help but think, when I was talking to my 8-year-old about why people kill themselves, why people would come to this dark place in their mind, why people would entertain the idea ever, I can't help but feel a sense of responsibility as a Christian, as a Christ follower. Because the Bible calls us to be people of hope. And so, when we are in the midst of people who are hurting and suffering and sad and disappointed, and we are living alongside them in just the same fashion, I'm not sure we're doing justice to the gospel. As followers of Jesus, we should have some hope on tap. <laughs> we should have an overload. We should have something to share. And we do. We should have something more than a platitude that we just memorize. We should, we should have hope. We should be people of hope. And this is what Paul says in uh, 2 Corinthians 4. He says, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but we are not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying uh, in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. Do you see what he's saying here? Is this up here? He says, he says essentially, look, life is hard. I have been beaten. I've been kicked down. I've, been, I've suffered hardships at every single turn. I have gone through it. But we have this treasure and jars of clay. So he's saying in this clay pot that is broken and chipped and cracked everywhere. 
because life is hard. He says, I have this treasure that I am bearing. I am a light bearer in a dark world. And this treasure that he's talking about is the gospel. I have this message in me. And I know that he's talking about the gospel because if you go back a chapter and you read this in context, he'll let you know that this is the purpose of his life. The purpose of his life is that he's been called to this ministry of reconciliation, of bringing people to meet Jesus. And he has this purpose that keeps him from falling into despair. From suffering the same fate as so many who are without hope. Yeah, he has the same hardships. Paul went through worse hardships than most people can imagine. But he's saying, it doesn't matter. I'll go through it because I have this purpose in my life. My purpose is to bring hope to the hopeless. And it is a powerful message. And I wonder how many of us know what our purpose is. I wonder of us how many, how, many, how many of us get derailed from that. Have you sought it out? Because the Christian life is a lot more than Sunday mornings and smiles and ookly dookly neighbor. <laughs> it's a lot deeper than that. The Christian life is about being on mission with a risen Savior who wants to make His love known. He wants to make His love known to people who do not know His love. He wants to make His love known to people who do not know His love through us, through you, through me. And so I have to remember that when I'm in traffic and I'm grumbling and I'm complaining and I'm beeping at the guy in front of me that I am not doing, I am not on mission at that moment. I am acting like somebody without hope and without peace and without God's love in me. I have to remember when I'm at the grocery store and I'm at the checkout counter and I'm paying somebody that this is a person that Jesus loves. And he wants to make his love known through me. I have to remember when I'm on a field trip with my eight-year-old and there's 85 screaming eight-year-olds at the beach that God loves them too. Because I learned something about myself this week and that's that I don't like all those kids. (laughs) That was hard. I was telling Tay, there's this kid, I don't know his name, but... We're at the beach, we're at the, the tide pools at Laguna, and we're like supposed to be taking pictures or sketching little sea life creatures all over. And this kid, he comes up next to me, and I'm taking a picture of a crab, a little, little crab on the beach. And he goes, hey, look, a crab. And I'm like, yeah, I'm taking a picture of it. And he goes, <laughs> and then he just looks at me. Like, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? And I just said, uh, where's your teacher? <laughs> like, uh, let's get this kid out of here. Kids are crazy. But guess what? Jesus loves that kid. He loves that kid more than the crowd. <laughs> so I have to remember that. I have to remember my purpose is that I am a light bearer in a dark world. 
And I have to remember that I am filled with hope even when I'm disappointed and even when I'm grumpy because I know the promises of God. There is a disappointment that so many of us deal with in solitude, so much so that I would say we are afraid to talk about it and certainly talk about it at church, but I'm going to do it anyways. There is this disappointment We can be disappointed with ourselves because we didn't live up to our own expectations. We can be disappointed with our friends and our family because they didn't live up to our expectations. But how many times are we disappointed with God and we don't talk about it because that feels icky, that feels dangerous, that feels blasphemous, as if God doesn't know what we're thinking already. But this is what happens, and this happens, I think, a lot of people, maybe especially a lot of people that aren't here this morning, but maybe some of us too, we deal with this regularly because I asked God for this, and I didn't get that. In fact, I got the opposite of what I asked for, and I prayed for months and months and months for this, and he didn't even answer me. And we have this, we know these things to be true about God. We hear, we read in the Bible that God is love. And we know that he is powerful. But we're asking him to show his love and his power at the same time and we are just not seeing the result we hope for. And we're afraid to talk about that maybe with other Christians because it seems like we're losing faith or we're weak or whatever. But let me just tell you this. God is bigger than that. You can talk to God about this. You can talk to his people about this because He knows what you're thinking and what you're feeling, and he's bigger than that. He is bigger than that. You don't have to be ashamed. You don't have to hide it. And there are silly things that we pray for, like, God, will you please bless me with that new car? (laughs) I really do say that sometimes. But that's, that's like optimism. That's optimism. That's, that's me thinking. You know, this is wishful thinking. But then there are more serious things, like, God, my friend has cancer, and will you deliver them? God, my son is rejecting you. Will you bring him back? And maybe we don't see the answer, and we certainly don't see it as soon as we want it, so... We deal with disappointment in ourselves, in our friends, in our family, and we deal with disappointment in God, if we're being honest. There was a young boy. This is an old preacher's illustration that I'll share with you. There was a young boy. His name was Aiden. And he was eight and When he was eight, he went to his dad and he said, Dad, when I grow up, I want to be a cowboy. It's a pretty standard eight-year-old wish. So his dad said, okay, son, okay. I, I can see you being a cowboy. So years went by, years and years, 10 years go by. And Aiden comes to his dad and he says, Dad, I'm graduating this year and I think I want to go to... college and I want to become a dentist and his dad says oh I'm I'm sorry son when you were eight you said you wanted to be a cowboy so I bought you a ranch 
there is no more money for college for dentistry school. This is the illustration. Sometimes we ask God for things that he knows are not in the right time, the right place, or the not, not what's best for us. You see? And so what he's holding out for is what's best for us. He knows what's best for us. We know what we want right now. We want to be cowboys. But God's saying, no, no, no. Like, I'm holding out for what's better. And there's going to be disappointment because you're not going to be a cowboy. But there's something better if you walk and have faith and trust. Amen? God is all-powerful. He's pure. He's undiluted love, but he's not a genie. We don't get our three wishes and put them back in the bottle when we're done. He's not some huge vending machine in the sky where we put in a prayer and push a button and pull out what we asked for. He is God. He is love, and he knows what he is doing. And he's promised us. One of the promises that we can hold on to is this often quoted scripture in Romans 8 where he says that, I am working this all together for your good. And we don't see that oftentimes in the middle of it because we ask ourselves, what's good about this? What's good, what could possibly be good about this? And I don't have a good answer for that. But God does. And this is where the rubber hits the road. One of the biggest disappointments in my life happened when my first son was two years old. And I found out that he had autism. And at the time, I was leading worship in a church. And I continued to lead worship in the church with this surmounting disappointment with God and the surmounting anger that he would let something like this happen to my boy. And I know that there are parents in here who can relate with me. It is, it is a hard road to, to toe. And there's, there's more than that. I know people have dealt with much worse things than that. But I didn't know at the time the boy that my, my, my son would grow into, the man he would grow into. I, I, in my mind at that time, everything stopped and my, and, my, and my dreams were shattered. But I had no idea how much of a blessing he would grow up to be. And if I could have had a prayer answered at that time, I would have said, God, take this away from him. But I wouldn't pray that today. This is where rubber hits the road. This is where faith comes to play. This is where, when surrounded by the storms of life that happen, and maybe you're in the middle of one today, or maybe you love somebody that's in the middle of one today, this is when we need an anchor for our soul. And 
six months after I thought I got that news about my son, and um, I was shopping at Staples. I don't know what I was doing at Staples, but my then pastor called me on the phone and he said, look, I can see that you've been struggling with this for a long time. And he said, and I know that it's hard and I can't understand what you're going through. He said, but all that stuff you have told people about, about Jesus, if it means anything, it means something now. And I'm tearing up remembering that conversation. I sat down on the floor in stables and I cried like a baby for 10 minutes. And I got up and didn't buy anything because I forgot why I was there. (laughs) But this is what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 6. He says, For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear by, than he swore by himself, saying, Surely... I will bless you and multiply you. And thus, Abraham, having patiently waited, there's that word again, right? Abraham having hope, he obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in their disputes an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly uh, to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath so that by Two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. We who have fled for refuge might have uh, strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. And look at verse 19. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. I know that's a mouthful, but let's make this simple. The writer of Hebrews, he's writing to Hebrews. (laughs) That's why it's called Hebrews. But these are Christian Hebrews, and these are Hebrews that have gone through it. And they've been tested, and they've, they've gone through some persecution, and they are suffering. And some of them are thinking, maybe this isn't worth it. Maybe this Christian life is too hard and I'm just, I'm just going to go back to the temple and offer my sacrifices. I know, I know how that all works and I didn't have it this hard then. And he's writing them to say, wait a minute, wait a minute. You would exchange something better for something that doesn't work anymore? You would exchange, you would exchange Jesus for the old system? So, essentially, this far in the book of Hebrews, that's the case he's making. The writer is obviously Jewish, and he's writing to his Jewish friends who were following Jesus, and he was saying, stick the course, and here's why. Here's why Jesus is better. Sinclair Ferguson wrote a book called um, Preaching Christ from the Old Testament. So he he wrote this book about finding Jesus in all the Old Testament passages. And isn't that what Jesus did with the, with the two disciples on the road to Emmaus? He opened the scriptures and he showed them all the places that Jesus was talked about and they never even saw it before. And when they learned this, their hearts burned within them. And uh, Tim Keller took this a little bit further and he said, let's look at it. Let's look at these places in the scriptures where, 
where Jesus is shown in some way or another. It's called typography or typology, sorry. And, and he, uh, he goes through it one by one. And this is the list. He says, Jesus is the true and better Adam who passed the test in the garden and whose obedience is imputed to us. Jesus is the true and better Abel, though innocently slain, has blood that now cries out, not for our condemnation, but for our acquittal. Jesus is the true and better Abraham, who answered the call of God to leave all of the comfortable and familiar and go out into the void, not knowing whither he went to create a new people of God. Jesus is the true and better Isaac, who was not just offered up by his father on the mount, but was truly sacrificed for us. And when God said to Abraham, Now I know you love me because you did not withhold your son, your only son, whom you love from me. Now we can say, look at God taking his son up to the mountain and sacrificing him and say, now we know that you love us because you did not withhold your son, your only son, whom you love from us. Jesus is the true and better Jacob who wrestled and took the blow of justice. We deserve so we, like Jacob, could only receive the wounds of grace that wakes us up and and disciplines us. Jesus is the true and better Joseph, who at the right hand of the king forgives those who betrayed and sold him and uses his new power to save them. Jesus is the new, I'm sorry, Jesus is the true and better Moses, who stands in the gap between the people and the Lord and who mediates a new covenant. Jesus is the true and better rock of Moses, who was struck by the rod of God, but now gives us water in the desert. Jesus is the true and better Job, the truly innocent sufferer who then intercedes for and saves his stupid friends. <laughs> Jesus is the true and better David, whose victory becomes his people's victory, though they never lifted a stone to accomplish it themselves. Jesus is the true and better Esther, who, did, uh, who didn't just risk leaving an earthly palace, but lost the ultimate and heavenly one, who didn't just risk his life, he gave his life to save his people. Jesus is the true and better Jonah who was cast into the storm so that we could be brought in. He goes on and on and on and on and on and on and on. But this is the point. If we think when we read, say, the story of David and Goliath, if we think that we are David in the story and we have to slay this giant, then we take all of this on ourselves. But what the writer of Hebrews says and what Tim Keller says is, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're not David. Jesus is David. And he's better than David. He will slay that mountain of sin for you. He will take care of the giant for you. And you're just one of the, the army guys that are standing aside going, whoa, look what he just did. Right? And the goal, the whole point of this is not so that we can be just bystanders and watching what Jesus does, but so that we can be thankful people who appreciate what he has done for us so that we can go forward in hope and spread that hope to the world, letting them know what he has done for them. So the writer of Hebrews is saying that there is no one higher. There's not a better high priest. Jesus is the true and better sacrificial system, the true and better high priest, the true and better sacrifice for us. So Jesus has sacrificed himself for us. So Jesus gave himself for me and for you. 
So now we can claim these promises. God promised salvation to all who believe in his Son. God promised that all things will work out for good for his children. God promised comfort in our trials. He promised new life in Christ. He promised every spiritual blessing in Christ. A lot of times we think about blessings as material things, but we miss the point when we do that. That's, that's a different covenant. If I'm just being frank, that's an Old Testament covenant. And the New Testament, the spiritual covenant, blessings are spiritual. And he says that in Ephesians 1. Every spiritual blessing has been given to you in Christ. God promised to finish the work he started in you. So wherever you find yourself this morning, maybe you're disappointed with yourself or with your own spiritual progress. Take heart. You're not the hero of your own story. Jesus is. Take heart. He has overcome the world. He is the overcomer who imputes that onto us so that we can be overcomers as well. We don't have to give in to despair, as Paul says. We can be beat and crushed and broken and cracked, but wherever this jar of clay is cracked is where the light shines through. Into the darkness. God promised to supply all of our needs. It's quite a list of promises, and there's, there's a great deal, many more. It's a lot to wrap our minds around but we need to wrap up. If we could just by faith see past our current situation, see past our struggles and our disappointments, and remember that God who has promised is faithful, and know that our hope is not based in wishful thinking, but in the proven track record of a God who has accomplished everything he said he would accomplish, then our hope is substantial and it's meaningful and it speaks to a world who has been so let down and disappointed that they need what we know. So I'm not asking you to be phony. I'm not asking you to fake it. I'm not asking you to pretend like your disappointments don't hurt. Paul didn't mask it. He said, we've been through it. We've been through it, but I have this underlying purpose that makes me go forward in hope and in faith. And I hope that's what we can do as well. So three things. When you collect your thoughts and you think about the things maybe that disappointed you in your life, the things that have held you back from wanting to trust or try again, I'm going to ask you to confess those things to Jesus. I'm going to ask you to, maybe some of the promises I just listed or maybe some that you can think of on your own or maybe some that you'll ransack the Bible for, I'm going to ask you to apply some of those promises to your disappointments. So if I'm disappointed in something that's going on in my life, in an unanswered prayer, I'm going to ask you to find a promise in the Bible. Maybe it's Romans 8.28, that God will work all these things out for my good because I love him and I am called according to his purposes. Maybe it's that. Maybe it's another one. Apply a promise. 
So confess your struggles, your disappointments, your, your setbacks, your despairs. Confess those to Jesus. He's big enough. Even if it's disappointment with yourself, with a friend, a family member, a situation, or even if it's disappointment with him. And let him tell you why he didn't answer your prayer the way you wanted him to. Listen. So confess, apply, listen. I have the hardest time with listening. But a mentor of mine once said, this is the only prayer I want you to pray this week. Every morning you wake up, say, Holy Spirit, what's next? And then he said, and then just listen. Shut your mouth. Stop asking for cars (laughs) or anything else and just listen. And then live it out as a witness, as an ambassador for Christ. Live out the hope that fills your jar of clay. And no matter what we face, no matter the hardship that we go through, no matter the severity that it is, we have to remember that we don't face it alone. We face it with a loving Savior who is all-powerful and almighty and who is love. And we face it with a family that is there to have our backs. Amen? Raymond, I'm going to have you come up and sing one last song, if you would. Father, thank you so much for this time together. I pray that all the silly stuff would be dropped and forgotten about by the time we walk out these doors, but we would remember your words and what you would be speaking to each of us even as we sing this last song. Pray in Jesus' name. You have been listening to the Genesis Podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.